Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Welcome to the 2021 MMA Fighting Year-End Awards. And now, your host, Mike Heck. Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 2021 MMA Fighting Year-End Awards. I am Mike Heck, your master of ceremonies for this inaugural event. We have done awards in the past. We have not done it in this kind of a format, so we are very excited to bring this to you for the very first time. 2021 was a memorable year, not just for mixed martial arts, but for combat sports in general. One of the most memorable years that I can remember, and we are going to celebrate some of those incredible moments by giving away five awards. We're going to give away awards for the knockout of the year, the submission of the year, the rookie of the year, the fight of the year, and of course... The fighter of the year will be announced at the very end. The main event of the evening, if you will. So here's how it's going to work. We will introduce each award. We'll run down the nominees. We'll award the winner for each respective award. And then we're going to turn it over to a panel of MMA fighting judges, if you will, who will weigh in on why they chose to vote the way that they did. Some people will agree with who won the award, and some people will disagree, and we'll hear from all sides for all of the awards. So with that being said, let's kick this thing off. Let's get to the awards, and we're going to kick this off with a banger. Just like your favorite party mix CD, you got to start off hot, and we're going to start off with the 2021 MMA Fighting Knockout of the Year. The nominees for Knockout of the Year are... Corey Sandhagen by Flying Knee over Frankie Edgar at UFC Vegas 18. Yuri Prohaska by Spinning Elbow over Dominic Reyes at UFC Vegas 25. Sergio Pettis by Spinning Backfist over Kyoji Horiguchi at Bellator 272. Kamara Usman by Right Cross over Jorge Masvidal at UFC 261. Francis Ngannou by Left Hook over Stipe Miocic at UFC 260. And the winner is... Kamara Usman for his incredible knockout of Jorge Mazadal in April at UFC 261. Let's hear from the panel about how everybody came to that decision. Thanks, Mike. And now we welcome in our panel for this year-end awards show. Uh, of course, you know the whole crew. My Arizona brother, Jose Young's there on the left down below me. We have AK, the Prince of Positivity from the North, and then Man in the Boards, the best producer in the business, EKC Layden. And let's talk about some knockouts, fellas, because KO of the year this year, all across the board uh, on our year-end ballots. I mean, you see it right there, the first place votes all across the board, but the majority 
coming in, or at least the most coming in for Kamaru Usman, Jorge Masvidal to the rematch. Uh, one of the cleanest KOs you will ever see in your life. And Jose, me and you were among the people who voted first place for Usman Masvidal too. Let's go to you first. Why was that your knockout of the year? Uh, for a few reasons. Uh, one, I was there covering it for the site. So I was inside that sold out arena in Jacksonville. And let's not forget, that was really the, that was the first card back with a packed house outside of Las Vegas since the, what? Israel Adesanya versus uh, Yoel Romero. Like, I'm not really counting the Fight Island fights because at the end, like, especially like, like the Connor Poirier 2 fight, because that was still limited uh, over there on Fight Island. But this one was packed to the brim with people in Jacksonville. They were just so, they were foaming at the mouth to finally watch mixed martial arts in front of them. This was one of those rare moments where pretty much the whole arena was filled for the first fight of the night, which is rare for an MMA, pay, for a UFC pay-per-view. Usually people trickle in for the the, prelim, the the ESPN prelims and then for the pay-per-view, but this was this was also a night of violence. Like, like if you go back and look at all those finishes, this is when Rose head kicked Whaley. This is when Valentina just barreled through Jessica Andrade. Anthony Smith uh, kicked uh, Jimmy Crute's leg into oblivion. Chris Weidman's leg snapped in half. So this was just violent, 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 violent from beginning to end. And then Kamar Usman and Hori Masvidal, like they talked a whole lot of greasiness to begin with. Kamar Usman was again still, you know, he knocked out. Uh, Gilbert Burns, but he still kind of had that snoozeman uh, moniker uh, tied to his name. This was his first or second fight with Trevor Whitman, and he turned the lights out of Jorge Masvidal to the point where I couldn't hear a person talking to me who was about four inches away from me. He was someone was talking to me, and I couldn't hear them. That is how loud that arena got when Kamaru Usman just, as I said, decapitated. Jorge Masvidal. And Jorge Masvidal had never been knocked out like that in his life. How many fights has he had? 50? And this is a man who, fastest knockout on UFC history, knocked out Darren Till in London, uh, stopped Nate Diaz with cuts. So this was a man who was just like violent, violent, violent. And then Kamara Usman, the wrestler, the division, what, two, Marty Snoozman just knocked Jorge Masvidal dead absolutely dead in his home state of Florida. So that is why it is number one. Something we hadn't seen a fighter who is not known for his knockout power, not a TKO, a knockout, a flat line knockout. And the arena, the, the environment, the ambiance was just absurd that night in Jacksonville. So that is why it was number one knockout for me. Cause just every, all of those, it was a perfect recipe and it was fan. It was, it was a moment I won't forget in MMA. It, it is just so cruel the, the, how quickly the winds of fate turn in this sport, right? One, you're right. You mentioned the, the Masvidal knockout of the year a couple of years ago. One year, you're winning knockout of the year for one of the craziest flying knee KOs we've ever seen. And then a few years later, you're on the other side of it, man. And, sometimes and you're the hammer. Sometimes you're the nail. That's, it, it really is. The, and, and the, the, photographs, <laughs> the photographs that came out of this knockout, too, mm. are just when you can spawn that many iconic photographs from one moment. And, Jose, you put an amazing compilation together for our graphic for our year-end awards right here. Go look at that graphic, people, if you haven't already seen it. It's just beautiful. It's art. It's Pantera. It's a Pantera album cover. It's vulgar describe platform. <laughs> vulgar display power. It really is. Uh, AK, for you. Why was this the knockout of the year? 
Well, everything that Jose said, but one thing, uh, he mentioned the greasiness, you know, kind of what people were, what they were saying to each other before the fight. And let's say you had never seen Kamar Usman or Jorge Masvidal fight before, and you, but, you, but you did keep up with the hype for this match. Let's say you're some crazy casual, I want to get into the UFC, I want to know about these guys, I'm going to listen to all the press. Com- Something Masvidal had been pushing for so long was this guy has no power. He said, this guy, this guy I, 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 in the first fight, I felt his punches, nothing. He has, he has no power whatsoever. So not only had Masvidal never been knocked out in that way, he, he was saying that this guy, this guy has no chance of knocking anybody out. So to, to get finished by strikes, and not just strikes, but a one-shot KO, a one-shot, no-doubt KO, sweat and water from his hair and face flying everywhere, it, it was just an incredible statement. And, and the kind of, uh, of justice you kind of only get in sports, right? You know, when, some, when someone says something, you can't do this, you can't do that, there's no chance you're going to do this, uh, you're, you're a 10 to 1 underdog, this is going to happen. And yet that's why they play the games, right? And it's like we all – I think a lot of us picked Usman to win. I think all of us thought maybe uh, – sorry, most likely a decision. Maybe a, if he's ever going to knock Masvidal, it would be like a, he has him down in the fourth or fifth and kind of like, you know, raining down punches on him, that kind of TKO. None of us said he's going to throw a Rocky Balboa haymaker <laughs> and just completely rock him. So give some credit to Masvidal as well because he made this scenario seem even more unlikely. And uh, that's and that's what made the payoff that much more sweet. Yeah, it is one of those things. You hear all the lead up, right? All the talk of, oh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't satisfied with how I did this last time. I'm going to do it one better this time. And it's so easy. We hear it so often. It's so easy to just shake that off and dismiss it. But man, Kamar Usman was serious that time. He he really did deliver. Uh, Casey, I want to bring you in here because second place on our list ended up being Sergio Pettis versus Kyoji Horiguchi, which is a recent knockout we just saw over in Bellator. Uh, and actually, Alexander K. Lee. My man over there voted for this first place as well. That ended up with three first place votes. You were in that group. Why for you was that the KO of the year in your mind? Well, first of all, everything Jose said about that Uzma knockout is true. It was an unbelievable knockout, incredibly violent. The crowd was electric that night. The the timing for that knockout, uh, just in terms of this the storylines for these these gentlemen's careers was perfect. So I I totally get and I, I totally get why it's knockout of the year and for 99% of the year, I was like, oh, that's knockout of the year. I'm already done voting. And then this <laughs> one main event in Bellator came out. If I was super excited for Sergio Pettis, Kyoji Horiguchi. The Horiguchi, of course, was the, the champ, but he, had, he um, vacated the belt due to injuries. So no one really believed that Sergio Pettis was the champ yet. He was kind of the paper champ. He was losing that fight, losing that fight. That fight was done, was like, okay. This is a 50-45 fight. Let's get through it. It was it the fourth round or something. So halfway through the fourth round, he's down three down three rounds. He's losing that round. He listens to his coach. He's like, just go for it. And he throws this head kick from boxing range. And just Horiguchi even getting out of the way of that head kick was really was really spectacular. But then Horiguchi just makes the slightest mistake and just backs out with his hands down and Pettis throws this amazing pinpoint, so freaking violent back fist that knocks out Hor. Now we talk about Masvidal going out cold. Horiguchi might still be unconscious. Like it was scary. <laughs> like like it was so scary to knock the knockout. In fact, I was actually upset at the broadcast that they weren't like sending it, landing a helicopter in the cage to take Horiguchi to the hospital. That they, they not like, Horiguchi was out that cold, and. It was to me like I've seen we've seen right cross knockouts. They look great. Of course, it was Masvidal. Was the, the, the guy who did it was incredible. The, the knockout Masvidal was incredible. But to me, knocking out Horiguchi like that is equally as incredible. And 
the high stakes championship fight, losing the the kind of the Sergio Pettis storyline, kind of like you know this this you know just living the shadow of his big brother. Now that's gone, and I just think it was incredible. And we, I, I wish there was like a dual award, a dual award, uh, a co award because both those knockouts were just incredible. And um, I just felt that that one needed to be recognized as the top knockout of the year. Yeah, it's certainly the best Bellator knockout of the year and easily the best non-UFC knockout of the year. And you have absolutely a case if you want to throw it number yeah. one. <laughs> Quickly here, let's go around the horn oh, can, can we, we uh, oh, Sorry, one second. Can we give some credit to uh, – Casey, you mentioned the coaching. Let's give DeGroove some credit for some – that was some uh, some Mr. Burns talking softball level coaching <laughs> where he's like, you, you, go out there, do something. And then he knocks him out. And, and it's, it's like the – I told him to do that. And it's like, hey, it worked. <laughs> He just said, do so. You're not doing enough. Do something. And he did. Coach of the year. You got to love it. Coach you got to love wow. it. Rufus Sport. Way to go, Rufus Sport. Uh, quickly here, let's move around the horn. I want to just get one word, one sentence answer. Everyone on their ballot had at least one knockout that they gave some love to that a lot of people didn't. For me, it was the big man, the fat man, Chris Barnett, John Volante, spitting back kick like that. How does that not get more love? I cannot believe I am one of the only people who voted for that. Uh, Jose, for you, what's the one knockout you want to recognize quickly? Um, I mean, it's a lot of like, because again, like the Corey Sandhagen, Frankie Edgar knockout, the problem with that knockout is it happened, what, the first quarter of the year? So it feels like last year. So let's not forget that Corey Sandhagen, what, how long was that fight? 45 seconds, a minute maybe, and threw a flying knee and knocked out Frank Egger. And like, what's Frank Egger's known for? How tough he is, how much damage he can take, how how he can walk through punishment and keep going. And Frank Egger was coming down to Bantamweight to make another run for a title. Corey Sanhagen was trying to you know erase that uh, being put to sleep by Aljamain Sterling by submission. So he does that against Small Murray. So what's he going to do? Gets a flying knee knockout on the chin of Frank Yeager in front of Dominic. Like, let's not forget Dominic Cruz right away. As soon as he landed that knee, because Dominic Cruz on commentary just goes, that's title shot. That's title shot. Like if that, if Dominic Cruz, the one, like, you know, this big pessimist that is always negative and is always pointing out the flaws of everyone that on commentary if he's praising you for a knockout, you know, a fighter in his own weight class, you probably did something right. Corey Sanhagen, uh, any other year is probably one, it's probably number one, maybe number two, but now he's probably three or four, which is just crazy mm-hmm. in 2021. It's crazy. It was a good year, man. It was a really good year. AK, for you, what do you want to recognize? Well, first, I just want to say I'm a big Frankie Edgar Mark, so that was traumatizing. I did pick it number two. I don't, maybe just to, just to deal with it. Uh, in my mind, I'm pro- like I said, it's so long ago. I'm probably remembering it differently. But like I, I have this, I have this image like it's a samurai duel where they cross and then one guy falls while the other guy just kind of like yeah. walks off. That's I, I don't think it was like that. I'm pretty sure he hit the mat pretty clearly and then Sandhagen walks off. But I'm just it's just such a horrible memory. Uh, I just want to shout out Emily Ducote, uh, her knockout of Danielle Taylor made a few of our our, our fifth uh, number five spots. And if people haven't seen it, and I'm sure if people, a lot of people haven't, check it out. It's one of the most cold-blooded finishes you'll ever see. Like, she rocks Danielle Taylor with this one-two. And it's just, it's over. Like, Danielle Taylor's out in her feet. She's about to fall down. But Dakota, with, without missing a beat, just unloads his head kick right on the button and just annihilates her. And it is, it is amazing to watch. It is horrifying to watch. Uh, and it's really, again, probably the best knockout of the year that, that a lot of people missed. Casey, what about you? I have to give Corey Sanhagen more love. I, that's all. That's just, oh, that, that, it was just Brutal. unreal. And why, why, oh. I, why I love that knockout so much um, was because 
most time when, like, I was talking about the Horiguchi knockout, Horiguchi made a mistake. Pettis capitalized. Masvidal made a mistake. Usman capitalized. I watched that fight. Frankie Edgar didn't make a mistake. Corey Sanhagen just knew, just which just recognized every move that Frankie was going to do before he did it. That's all it was. And he just timed that flying knee perfect. Frankie was just doing his little jab in. And there's, whenever you throw a punch, there's always a slight opening to get hit. And that's what uh, Corey capitalized on. And that knee was just so incredible. And most of the time when I see spectacular violence, you know, I'm on the couch going, wow. This was the one time of the year when I saw that knockout, I, I actually kind of shrieked because I was so scared <laughs> for Frankie Edgar. I'm, I'm the biggest Frankie Edgar fan, but, you know, if he loses, he loses. But just I shrieked in horror. I was like, he killed Frankie. I was like, but, <laughs> so luckily everyone yeah. was safe. You know, he had a headache for a week, I'm sure, and he's back. But uh, so I just got to give Corey Sanigan a little bit more love. Oh, man. Luckily, Frank Edgar is alive and well, but it was a violent, violent, brutal year. Uh, That has been Knockout of the Year. Back to you, Mike. Thank you, gentlemen, and congratulations to Kamara Usman, who is nominated for some other awards as well. Maybe he'll take home multiple trophies. We'll find out later on in the program as we move on to another award. And I know that headlines are normally made with ferocious knockouts, strikes, punches, kicks, if you will. But some of the more memorable moments in 2021 came via submission, including one of the biggest upsets in UFC history, according to a lot of people. So now, the nominees for the 2021 Submission of the Year. The nominees for Submission of the Year are Vicente Luque with a Dars over Michael Chiesa at UFC 265. Anthony Fluffy Hernandez via Armin Guillotine over Rodolfo Vieira at UFC 258. Andre Muniz by Inverted Armbar over Jacare Souza at UFC 262. Juliana Pena by Rear Naked Choke over Amanda Nunes at UFC 269. Charles Oliveira by Rear Naked Choke over Dustin Poirier at UFC 269. And the winner of the 2021 MMA Fighting Submission of the Year is Andre Muniz for his inverted armbar submission of Jacare Souza at UFC 262 in Houston. What a crazy moment that was. Fala galera do MMA Fight. Aqui é André Muniz de Bona da UFC. Boa. Tô muito feliz em saber que a minha finalização contra o Ronaldo Jacaré foi eleita a melhor finalização do ano. É, só agradecer a Deus, a minha equipe, todo mundo que me dá suporte. É, eu fiz uma, eu sei que eu fiz história em finalizar uma lenda. Estou muito feliz e espero continuar representando a bandeira do Jiu-Jitsu aí no UFC, conseguir grandes finalizações. E espero que em 2022 eu consiga ser reeleito novamente uma grande finalização. Muito obrigado mais uma vez. Que Deus abençoe vocês. Pois... Let's take you back to the MMA fighting panel to discuss how this decision came to light. Thank you, Mike. And now, submission of the year, fellas. And this one was really, we're going to talk a couple different times about votes being all over the board, but this one was really votes all over the board. I mean, the winning submission didn't even get the most first place votes. That actually went to Juliana (laughs) Pena versus Amanda Nunes. But still, everyone pretty much on our team had Andre Muniz versus Jacare Souza on their list, and that actually ends up getting it to number one. So, AK, I want to go to you first this time because that was you were one of the three people on our 11-person panel to vote Muniz-Souza 
for number one. Why was this your submission of the year? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm remembering it wrong, but so this this was one of a trio of completely unbelievable uh, jujitsu masters getting submitted. Uh, now in the Andre Muniz situation, I mean that's one that's really one jujitsu ace submitting another. Um, but then you also had, of course, Leonardo Santos, Clay Guida, and uh, Fluffy Hernandez, and uh, uh, Vieira, Rodolfo Vieira. And and the Vieira and Santos ones were kind of similar. They kind of gassed themselves out. They they looked like they were gonna, they might have been were going to dominate early. Then they gassed themselves out. Uh, so those are very identical. You could have had one of those at the top as well. I certainly wouldn't blame you. Muniz, it was. I don't think that was the case. Muniz definitely there was a sense that he out grappled. Yes, an older sort of more shop worn fighter. But we're talking about Jacare Souza. I mean, this guy is known along with you know like Damian Maya, Fabrizio Verdum as being like these are the like these are the guys who. Have have brought have implemented uh, jujitsu the best into MMA, uh, and and if you go to the ground with them, you're dead. Like I don't care who you are now. And then, again, like I said, in this case with Muniz, a little different because now, as we will know by now, he is also now maybe he is now the preeminent uh, MMA jujitsu guy, uh, at least in the UFC. Um, but it was just shocking to see that. And this again, this happened before the other two, so maybe that's why I gave it extra points. Also, he broke his friggin' arm. I mean, this was like. It just it was it was it was not pleasant to watch. It it felt like a passing of the torch in the most gruesome way, and so for that so for that for that reason uh, again it, the, the the name who he beat again Jacare to submit him uh, and in such a such a beautiful gory way uh, I just couldn't go in any other direction but number one for him. Yeah, and I think this ended up actually being the only submission of the whole ballot where every single person on the panel voted for it in some fashion. The, the other ones, one or two people would leave out, but this one just landed on everybody's ballot. And I think for the reason you just mentioned, AK, the brutality, the sheer brutality, the, the visceral nature of seeing a guy like Jacare Souza, right? We have, we have such a long history with Jacare of being this feared submission artist. To see him get his arm actually snapped. In that way, in the way that it did, where it ends his career, he goes out, he ends his career getting his arm broken. It was just an incredible sight, man. Uh, but I'll throw it to you now, Jose, because our second place was actually tied. Pena Nunes and Hernandez Vieira, and you voted for Hernandez Vieira. Why for you was that your submission of the year? Well, basically, just take everything AK said about this is the guy, the name that like just submitting Jacare Souza, like. Erase Jacare Souza's name and put in Adolfo Vieira. Adolfo Vieira has won every grappling tournament, every gold medal you can possibly name, but not just once or twice. Like, this is a man that would go on stretches for like three or four years, but he would enter a tournament and, like, that's a wrap. He's just going to walk away with a gold medal or at, at, at worst, silver medal. He enters 10 tournaments, he wins nine of them, and he's winning by submission. So, Adolfo Vieira is the guy. He is like, like, all right, I'll put it like this. Andre I was at Andre Muniz's last fight when he when he won by submission. Can't remember who he won he won against, but that's neither here nor there. And they asked him, someone in the press asked him, Does this make you the best submission specialist in the middle of the That was me. <laughs> that was and your boy. That's what you said. And he said, <laughs> No, I can't say that because we have someone like Adolfo Vieira in the division. So the guy that won our submission of the year is already anointing Adolfo Vieira. Vieta, the best submission specialist in his own weight class. So he goes out there and fights Fluffy Fernandez, who's lost to what Kevin Holland, Marcus Perez. I think he had like an overturned fight because he smoked a bunch of weed. Uh, I might have been on the contender series. So this is a guy like fun, exciting guy, good interview. And he goes out there and submissions to Adolfo Vieta. It was 
30 to 1 him winning by submission. Joe Rogan was losing his mind. I could hear Joe Rogan going ballistic, uh, octagon side and commentary. Like, yeah, don't forget to gas himself out. I don't care. Some like that's like if if Anthony if if Deontay Wilder came in and was all of a sudden UFC heavyweight and he gets matched up with I don't know who's a really random heavyweight that I can that I who's who's the who's the Polish heavyweight uh, that just that just lost. Um, I don't know. It's just How about George's Danho. George's Danho. There you go. And all of a sudden <laughs> he and all of a sudden he gets matched matched up with one of these guys and he gets knocked dead in the second round. That is the equivalent of the, of the, of this fight. <clears throat> The, the the guy, the best submission specialist, the guy that the winner of submission year is saying is the best submission specialist goes out there and loses to a guy who doesn't even have 10 fights, 30 to 1, to the point where how many times have we talked about Dana White doesn't watch the prelim, so don't ask him about a prelim fighter at the post-fight press conference. Dana White talked about this fight. It wasn't a fight that was on anyone's radar. And Dana White, you, I asked him about this at the press conference, and his eyes lit up, and he was like, oh, my God, did you see that fight? So the winner of submission specialist calling the guy that lost, that got submitted the best. Dana White actually talking about this fight. Joe Rogan losing his mind inside an empty uh, UFC Apex Everything's there on the wall. That is why this was my submission of the year because it is something that I'm still – I still can't get over. Like when that f- happened, I was like, good luck being that submission of the year. wasn't the most spectacular, but it was who he did it to and how he did it that was so just unbelievable to witness. Oh, my. The sight of a passionate Jose Young is just – I love it. I love seeing it. Uh, one aspect of this fight too is you you mentioned it sort of with the matchmaking. It was obvious where the matchmaking was going with this, right? Like this was a sort of being built to be a gimme win for Vieira to style upon this guy and get that submission. And he almost did it. You look at that first round. Mm-hmm. He has he has in mount. Like he was ready to submit Fluffy and it just didn't happen. And man, that was uh 31 odds, like you said. I have to say the for me, I voted number one for the other fight that sort of rounded out the three that everyone pretty much put in their ballot. And that was Juliana Pena versus Amanda Nunes. That actually got the most first place votes. Four of us put that as number one on our ballot. And I was stunned. I'm not going to lie. I know the last two knockout or submissions we've talked about were incredibly impressive. And also you just didn't see it coming, but I was absolutely floored. Once the results came in, I expected Pena Nunes to be the number one. And I'm surprised it just ended up at number two. I mean, you have Juliana coming in there in a fight very few thought she was even going to be competitive in and just choking out the goat with a no-hooks rear naked choke. Like, I it, it, I don't know what it takes to be submission of the year uh, for some people, but for me, like, I, this felt like an easy one, and I, I was blown away uh, that this one just didn't get the credit for number one. Casey, I want to throw it to you because – your ballot was a little bit interesting compared to everybody else's. Everybody was more or less in the same ballpark with a lot of these. You were all over the place, and you actually threw McKee versus Pitbull as your number one. Can you talk to me a little bit about your thought process here? Uh, Pitbull, uh, to me at the time, he was a top four, uh, top five featherweight in the world. He, I think, he was. He had, he hasn't been legit. He hasn't had a legitimate loss. I'm not counting the Ben Henderson loss because he had a, a he, he had a shin injury during the fight. So I'm ignore that as far as a stoppage. But he hadn't had a, a legitimate loss since 2015. He had just knocked out like a year ago Michael Chandler, 
And now he was fighting the protege, the uh, the, the mercenary, AJ McKee, in a highly anticipated, probably the, one of the biggest Bellator fights ever. AJ McKee finished him with a guillotine. The first time he was finished, legitimately finished in his whole career. It was off a head kick, grabbed the neck, choked him out. Technically perfect. I don't know. I just thought you're, you just submitted Pitbull. I thought that was incredible, and I think that deserved number one. And I know, and I have no issue if anyone giving giving style points. I mean, giving points to Felipe Hernandez, Pena, and those 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 submissions. But I felt those submissions were just uh, they were too heavily based on the fact that those their opponents were just incredibly tired. Now I realize Pitbull did get did get hit in the head, so he was probably concussed when he got choked out, but. I just think um, who he did it to and how great a fighter Pitbull is as an MMA fighter, not just a, a jiu-jitsu specialist. I just think that was number one, and that's why uh, I was actually surprised. I know you were shocked that <laughs> no one voted for it. Not more people voted for Pena. I was shocked that I think people kind of forgot how incredible that submission, uh, that guillotine was. Maybe because Pitbull kind of disputed it, maybe. I think that kind of kind of soured a bit, but I thought it was a completely clean submission, and yeah, that's why, that's why it's my number one. And it's hard to ignore that it was like one. It was the culmination of an amazing tournament. That mm-hmm. that, that that feather tournament was awesome, and also the entire AJ McKee story. As far as story, you know, yeah. as, 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 that could be his last fight in Bellator, right? We don't know. Like that could be he might just be winning the title and just leaving, right? Yeah, so this no could idea, literally yeah. be the end of that AJ McKee storyline. And what a story it's been because uh, Bellator has tried to home grow a lot of people. They signed a lot of, you know, star Division One wrestlers, All-Americans, uh, champions. And some of these guys have been okay and had careers but not really panned out on the level as far as like being stars. This guy from day one is like he's the son of uh, Antonio McKee, respected veteran. Everyone's saying he's got everything it takes. He's going to be champ someday. And they bring him along real slow, just like facing, again, you know, uh, uh, an unrecognized competition for like the first three or four years. So he's like 12-0, 13-0, whatever. And then they, they really bring him along the right way. And then to the point where when he, this fight comes along, we're like, this is it. Like, he's probably going to beat Pitbull. Um, I think that maybe the picks are about 50-50. But a lot of people are very confident that he was going to do it. And, and uh, for him to, I think, realize it, I think that's also part of what makes the And he won without even breaking a sweat. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and I didn't realize, we, we talked a little bit before we, we hit record, according to my ballot, uh, AJ McKee as back-to-back submission of the year. <laughs> that's, yes. I think that's incredible, too. Amazing. Amazing. And that's one th- that's one thing I was about to mention is I, I do wonder if there was a little bit of AJ F- F- McKee fatigue because he won <laughs> last year with the same category. But it is interesting the the points you mentioned with, with that fight because in my eyes when I look back at that fight and I remember that fight, the submission doesn't stand out to me. It doesn't stand out as a standout submission. It's more of the performance as a whole, right? Just the, I, I don't view that as some crazy submission win. I just view it as a very impressive and crazy performance. And I wonder that, what that is and what that's sort a, of that's how I saw the Pena, that. that's how I saw the Pena fight. I didn't see it as a submission victory. I saw that as like just her Pena sticking to a game plan and beating Nunes uh, the 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 smartest way possible is to get her tired and that's what and be tough and that's what Pena did and that's why I couldn't give. Pena that kind of credit for a submission of the year because I think from a, a technical basis it, it just in my opinion wasn't the most technical submission technically right submission but I completely understand why people why would people vote for Nunes because it's just the nature of who Amanda Nunes is well, well last thing on this category and then we'll move on one fun thing about submission of the year always every year no without fail this always happens for some reason is it's the one category where we can really sneak in a lot of like under the radar stuff right because really crazy submissions happen outside of the highest levels of the leagues because you have you know 
good fighters fighting maybe fighters who are not at that level of competition and you could see crazy things like a boston crab or whatever else you want to throw out there <laughs> jose for you what was your under the radar submission that sort of flew by that you want to mention I mean, Mateus Santos, I think that was, yeah, that's number two for me if you look at the numbers right there. I can't even describe what he did. <laughs> so anytime that someone, I, I've said this in like various other sports too, when like there's arguments over like, oh, who deserves, like when Miguel Cabrera hit for the cycle in Major League Baseball, there was this argument over does he deserve MVP just solely off of that, even though Mike Trout had like higher analytical stuff. I'm like, anytime you make history, or like it's like or similar when Russell Westbrook had like the triple like the tri- average of the triple double for the first time since Oscar Robertson, and there were people arguing should he be MVP. Anytime you make history, I think you deserve to be number one. Like that is what sets you to to at number one. For Mateus Santos is number two for me because he pulled off something that I've never seen and I don't even think has a name. It was just this um this crazy smart like i don't know what it was like it looked like a bowl of pasta like all everything like (laughs) swirled around and twisted like you just looked at a plate of spaghetti i just have no idea how to describe it It was like an inverted triangle kimura on his like 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 peruvian necktie type thing i have no idea what it's called i've never seen it i probably will never see it again we wrote about an MMA fight, and I'm pretty sure it was a missed fist, missed fist mm-hmm. when it came out. So we, like the diehard, saw it. So I put that number two because I don't know what I saw, and it looked crazy. Similar to AJ McKeown last year, the submission that we had never seen. I don't know what Mateo Santos did, but it looked wild, and that's why it's <laughs> number two. I don't know what he did, but it looked wild. Is the best yeah. description you could possibly have for <laughs> submission. You mentioned. You mentioned like a Boston crab. I think Jose. I think there was almost this was almost like a real life like stretch muffler that you would see. Like because he kind of Maybe. bends the guy. He kind of he's countering an armbar and he kind of bends the guy's ankle around his neck. Uh, but there's other part as Jose tried to. Explain, it was there's like other parts, there's other parts of their bodies that need to be tied up for this move to work. Yeah, and you can't yeah. make your opponent do it. Like your opponent kind of has to go for something, and then you have to like kind of counter in this very specific way. Uh, so yeah, if you'll find the clip, it's uh, Mateo Santos and Alexander Voladin, and uh, you see if you can figure it out. It's it's a, it's a, it's out there in GIF form, so you can watch it loop <laughs> like over and over again. The first time I watched it, I'm like, did he tap out because his arm hurt or his neck hurt? Is his shoulder getting popped up? I honestly don't know where the pressure is involved in this. I think joke. it's his ankle. It just I think it's it looks bananas. <laughs> yeah, and I can like I'm looking at the I pulled up the photo now. I'm like, I don't see uh-huh. how his ankle hurts. I can't tell. <laughs> uh ak you actually ended up voting for that as number two on your yeah. ballot as well casey uh what's your under the radar submission you got lots of them your your ballot was full of them what's one you want to mention before we get out of here i'm gonna say i want to talk about um mckenzie dern versus uh nina nunes the mm-hmm. arm bar and it's just for the opposite reason what jose said because jose was like they were doing something crazy it's like some peruvian you know it's like spaghetti spaghetti twister you know knots <laughs> i love i'm gonna get i wanted to give mackenzie dern some shine because it was her armbar finish i think she got it in yeah the end of the first round it was just technically and fundamentally perfect she got the takedown went to half guard uh side mount Grabbed the arm, just got complete control. Never, she. Never, I don't. Even, I don't even think she even had to throw any strikes. I think it was just 100% jujitsu and MMA match. And I just a lot of times I think we we kind of go for the spectacular, or the it's something we've never seen before as far as submissions. But I just want to. 
I just want to recognize that the fundamentals, that's what's important. And Mackenzie Dern's, her fundamentals are so there. And if you do everything like you're supposed to, you will get that arm bar. And she did. And um, that's why, because it was, there was nothing spectacular about it. It probably, probably, we didn't even probably talk about it that much. Even in our post shows, like, okay, arm bar, Mackenzie Dern, whoa, big deal. You know, but I just, everything was just technically perfect about it. Like if you were like just first day jujitsu, you know, how to, how to do an arm bar, that's what she did. And to do it against someone with someone has so much experience, has Nina Nunes, I think it's awesome. And um, yeah, Mackenzie Dern. Hard to argue with that. So many good submissions this year. Uh, You love to see it. Back to you, Mike. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombe makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombe fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Thank you, panelists, and congratulations to Andre Muniz for an incredible submission, the submission of the year in 2021. Of course, there's a lot of talk about pound-for-pound greats, the Mount Rushmore of fighters, if you will, but before they can get to that point, they got to start somewhere, right? And in 2021, we had a lot of upstarts, a lot of surging prospects. We are going to give away the award for the very first time. For the past years, this is called the Breakout or the Breakthrough Fighter of the Year. This year, for the very first time, we are going to award a Rookie of the Year. And the definition of this award is for a fighter who fought on the regional scene somewhere around the world and then ultimately got that life-changing phone call to fight in a big promotion, whether it be UFC, Bellator, PFL, etc., making their debut in 2021 and then just creating some memorable moments, whether it's one big win that got everybody talking or multiple wins that moved them up the divisional ladder. So with that being said, here are your nominees for the 2021 MMA Fighting Rookie of the Year. The nominees for Rookie of the Year are Manon Furo, Usman Nurmagomedov, Casey O'Neill, Bruno Silva, Roush Manfio. And your MMA Fighting Rookie of the Year for 2021 is... King Casey O'Neill for her 3-0 start with three incredible finishes. Congratulations to Casey O'Neill. Hey, guys. I just want to say a massive thank you to MMA Fighting for voting me as Rookie of the Year for 2021. Uh, It was a great year for me, and I look forward to having an even better 2022 and beginning my takeover of the flyweight division. And there you go. You just heard from our Rookie of the Year. And fellas, let's talk about it because this was a brand new category we introduced this year. Uh, A a controversial category somewhat within the team. We didn't really know the parameters that we were setting, but ultimately it was Casey O'Neill who won it. 3-0. She gets five out of the 11 possible first place votes. And so, AK, I want to throw it to you first. Casey O'Neill, why does she come out as the MMA Fighting Rookie of the Year? 
Yeah, look, uh, again, as people can see, not number one on my list. Uh, I, I actually had her kind of neck and neck with uh, Menon Fioro for who was kind of the, the flyweight, you know, uh, rookie of the year. Uh, eventually, I, I did give the nod to O'Neill. Uh, uh, Menon, you can certainly make an argument for her. But uh, Casey O'Neill, I mean, look, she's got uh, finishes. Okay, finishes are always huge. Uh, Menon has some of that too. But uh, Shauna Dobson, who was coming off that uh, huge upset of uh, Maria Agapova, so she she had some she had a name there. Uh, Lara Procopio was oh, seven and one. I was going to say undefeated. Sorry, it was seven and one. And uh, Antonia Shevchenko, maybe not the best flyweight, but certainly she's had that name and and people very highly respected as a martial artist. So for your first year in the UFC to go Dobson Procopio Shevchenko and get finishes in all those fights, I mean that's. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I mean, you just say it, it's amazing. The other thing is flyweight, uh, women's flyweight has quietly been one of the most kind of one of the busiest, most like well-developing divisions in MA, not just this year, really for the past couple of years. It's it's hard for people to view it like that because, of course, Valentina Shevchenko has been at the top for so long and just no one seems close to her. And that's still the case. Don't get me wrong. I think I think the division is very strong, but it's still the case where the difference between number one and number two is just miles. But her dominance should not take away from how how many good fighters are coming into this division, whether it's because they're dropping from 135 or moving up from 115, or again are are being signed by the UFC like uh, like Fioro, like Casey O'Neill, uh, Miranda Maverick. Uh, Miranda Maverick, she's a yeah flyweight, right? I don't know. Uh, I, I but a lot of good names. Excuse me if I messed up. Uh, but a lot of a lot of strong names coming in at uh, at 125. And uh, Casey O'Neill just happens to be the best of that bunch. So if you're acknowledging the strength of, of 120, uh, women's 125, as you should, uh, it, it is hard to argue that Casey O'Neill is not the leading prospect right now. Again, some of the other names I mentioned, but all these finishes, quality competition, uh, about to fight Roxanne Modafferi next, kind of possibly add a veteran name uh, to her resume, one of the most respected veterans in, in the history of, of women's MMA. And uh who knows what her 2022 is going to be like, but a lot of people are already saying, you know, she's uh, she's definitely going to be a world title contender. Uh, maybe not soon, but by 2023, depending how, whether uh, Valentina Shevchenko is still around or even if she is, could be Casey O'Neill. That, uh, that's the next compelling challenger. Casey, I want to throw it to you next because it was interesting. I had Casey O'Neill on my board as well. Uh, I think most of us did for the most part. You you did as well. Uh, but me and you, it was interesting the way Rookie of the Year, the pockets of voting sort of worked out because everyone who had a first played vote more or less grouped up together. There was five and then two and two. And the two for you and I, we went off the board with the UFC. We went to Bellator. We went to Usman Nurmagomedov. And to me, that was a clear pick because this is a guy who we have been hearing about for a long time. You talk to any of the AKA guys uh, for the last several years, they've been hyping this guy up for a long, long time. And then he comes to Bellator and he is just a monster right away, right? He goes three and oh, the last two are just first round finishes. And he looks like everything we have been advertised over the last couple of years. Why for you was Usman Nurmagomedov your rookie of the year? I think he kind of fits the description of what we think of as a rookie. He's under 25, um, I think how many fights does he have? Yeah, he fought, yeah. So he came in. He was about ten and zero on the regional scene in um, Europe. Um, when I saw his fights, even though you may not recognize the opponents' names that he fought, he went out there looking like, okay, this guy is going to be a future champ, a future top contender. And it's it's not. I'm not trying to like discredit Casey O'Neill or anyone else that that may have gotten votes, but simply put, when he went out there, he just. He didn't look like a rookie. He looked like a guy that belonged in contender fights very soon. And um, I was just blown away how how just a well-rounded fighter he is. And at, at only 23 years old, 
man. And I I feel just, you know, a lot of um, just, he just, with a lot of these fights for Bellator being, you know, empty casinos and, you know, Beautiful, Uncasville, Connecticut, we may have just mm-hmm. kind of forgotten about it. And, and he didn't get a lot of, I don't think he really got too many high profile fights on broadcast. They were kind of uh, maybe, I think the first two were in prelims. So um, I get people just kind of forgot about him in a sense. And just because he's not a big trash talker, you know, we just don't do a bunch of interviews of him. But just on his time in the cage this year, three and oh, two dominant or three dominant victories, two finishes. To me, it was a it was a pretty easy pick, actually. I like I like what you said there because that description of who a guy who came in and instantly looked like a future champion that was sort of my thinking as well of who, yeah. who among this group looks the most ready the most polished right away and that was him for me Jose I want to go to you next because your first place vote didn't actually end up even in the top five uh, we had two people on the staff Eric Jackman as well New York Rick voting for Patty Pimblet the baddie uh, he ends up falling just short a few points shy of fifth place so he ends up in sixth. And for you, Jose, why was Patty your number one? Well, I think it's a no brainer. It's pretty obvious that why Eric and I picked it uh, for two reasons. One, we both run the social media for our site, <laughs> and pretty much Patty Pimblet is just the guy that people want to talk about. Number two, we were both in New York City for UFC uh, 268. And there's a few things that kind of add to this like mystique of Patty being number one. And if we're just talking about martial arts, wins and losses, they're going to be a contender. I have no issue with Casey O'Neill, and I have no issue with uh, Nurmagomedov. Those peop- those two individuals clearly had the best year of these quote-unquote rookies uh, in terms of high-level martial arts in the octagon. Patty Pimblett walked into the ceremonial uh, weigh-ins for UFC 268, and basically the sea parted as he walked through. The New York crowd went ballistic for Patty. This is a man that was 1-0, and was already being advertised to do a fan meet-and-greet Q&A in New York City. Flew all the way from England. Number two, I went out to eat. Uh, I think it was Friday night. It turned out Michael Bisping and Darren Till were in the corner doing their thing with like some other people. Patty Pimblett walked in. Place went nuts. Three of them took a photo as the past president and future of, Engl- of English MMA. So anytime you're attaching yourself to fighters like Darren Till and Michael Bisping as quote-unquote, now you're the future of an entire country in a, in a specific sport, you're probably doing something right. And then finally, for the big one for me, we talk a lot about like there's a lot of people out there that complain and they or they pretend that they're up in arms about fighter pay, which is a very serious issue. Uh, And they say like they bang on the drums and they say we need fighters need to get more money. Fighters need to do this, this and that. Patty Pimlet is one and oh in the UFC and he has a million dollar seven-figure deal with Barstool to do stuff for them. He's one and oh and he's already one of the highest paid athletes on the roster. He lost his Instagram. His Instagram had about 100,000 followers, and Instagram took it down because he's being too over the top. He makes a new one, and he's almost at a million. In less than six months, he's almost generated a million Instagram followers. AJ McKee did all of this great stuff for Bellator, beats Pitbull, who many people consider to be the greatest Bellator fighter ever. He doesn't even have 200,000. Instagram followers and Patty Pillman's almost at a million and he's not even ranked and he's one and oh, this is basically Sean O'Malley all over again. Like, yeah, you can <laughs> knock him for level of competition, but the man people want to talk about him and what like this is prize fighting. We say this a million times. Wins and losses are great, but it's a this is a prize fight. This is prize fighting. 
at its best. Chael Sonnen might not be the best fighter. He's the greatest pro- one of the greatest prize fighters you ever see. Conor McGregor just happens to be a combination of both. And Patty Pimblett, Sean O'Malley's talking about Patty Pimblett, and they're not even in the same weight class. Like Patty Pimblett is the guy to me. To me, it was a no-brainer that he was number one. Like the fact that he's one and zero, unranked, already has a million-dollar contract, already almost has a million Instagram followers, and. They- doing meet and greets with the UFC, fans chanting his name when he walks into an, into Madison Square Garden. He's not even fighting. It's the reason why I had Ian Gary on my top five. People are already comparing him to Connor, and he hadn't even fought. So to me, this was very much word of mouth. Fans being interested in fighters, making a lot of money for themselves. To me, it was a no-brainer. Patty was number one. Oh, my gosh. I might, I might need to change my ballot after the fact. You made a compelling case there, my man. Uh, I, it, it was an interesting category because the way we define rookie is just somebody who had come from the regional scene and did, made their debut in 2021 on some form of major show, whether it was Rise and Bellator, one championship, whatever you want to throw out. That was sort of the parameters we set. And you made a compelling case just there for Patty, even though he was 1-0. It was sort of the same uh, methodology that I used put for putting Alex Pereira up on, on mm-hmm. Mike Ballot as well, uh, I think in the number three spot, just because, again, it's a guy who came in and really lived up to the hype and, and made that big debut yeah. in a way that was very memorable. Of, of everybody we sort of have in this group, let's close it out with this question. Who do you? Who are you most high on moving into 2022? Meaning, like, who who among whether it's somebody you voted for or not, who among this list do you feel strongly about that they are going to be either a champion or a title contender very soon, uh, or maybe even by this time next year? Jose, let's go to you first. Uh, probably Casey O'Neill, just because of the depth of the division. I think she has the quickest route, especially if you beat um, Roxanne. If she beats Roxanne Modifier in Roxanne's last fight in in her career i think that kind of, and plus what this is flyweight so they're they're looking for new blood for valentina shevchenko she might she might get the rocket to the top so uh i don't think she's going the best of these top five top ten but i think she just has the shortest path i think uzman Nurmagomedov is i think the easiest pick to be a future champion i just think casey O'Neill will reach the title fight quicker casey what about you Actually, I just I didn't even realize it, but I just noticed outside of my top pick with Omega Madoff, four, um, two through five are all female fighters, and that's why I'm going to talk about Aaron Blanchfield. I think I'm the only. I think me and only one other person even put Aaron Blanchfield in the top five. Steven, but, yeah. but yeah, me and Steven are the only ones that are in the top five. Aaron Blanchfield is 22. Her two performances, even though she got two two um, two decisions, she basically 30 24 both fights. She was when in, in Invicta, she was a very good grappler, but now she is she at 22, she looks like she is turning that corner and becoming just an amazing mixed martial artist. And her fight against Miranda Maverick, a, a person I maybe like if she would have won that fight, I would have had her as one of the rookies of the year. But since she lost to Blanchfield, I put Blanchfield in that spot. Blanchfield, I think, is freaking amazing. I love Casey O'Neill. I think I think Casey O'Neill is a more exciting fighter, but I definitely think Aaron Blanchfield is going in the long run going to be a much more dominant fighter. And I don't think they're going to rush her too much at only twenty two, but maybe they will. But I expect of all the women rookies that we saw this year, I expect Aaron Blanchfield to fight for the title first. 
AK, who are you highest on heading into 2020? First of all, I mean, who's going to be a champion? One of the people, our, our guy who came in second is already a champion. <laughs> so, somehow we didn't even mention him up until this point. He's already a league champion. He went 4-0 this year. He took out Anthony Pettis, Clay Collard, who beat Anthony Pettis. So he took some of his heat. Uh, he was supposed to fight Natan Schulte, the, the friggin' the, uh, the godfather of his child. They were almost going to fight. Uh, and he was uh, going to come out of uh, this is after recently coming off a three year layoff for uh, for Hosh. Uh, we'll have we'll have Guion later to talk about him a bit more. But uh, his story is just insane, and I, I just had to bring him up because he finished second, and somehow we are just mentioning him now. But he's all technically again. We're saying who's going to be the next champion? This guy is already a champion and a millionaire. So uh, so the outlook for uh, Hosh Manfio is, is bright no matter what. He he could not fight next year, and I guarantee you he's going to have a great twenty twenty two. He's doing all right. Um, who I think will get a title shot almost for sure this coming year. I think Usman Nurmagomedov is going to get in there. I think he's going to fight frequently. Uh, he might only be maybe two wins away. I think you easily see him fighting for uh, for a Bellator title by the end of the year. So that that to me, I would put him at the top of the list. And I'm going to go off the board for a guy who I guess he might end up being the 2022 Rookie of the Year. Though I think obviously KSW should count as a major league. Um, so it kind of sounds kind of weird to call him a rookie. But uh, Roberto Soldich has done pretty much yeah. everything he can do in KSW. I mean, he just destroyed Mamed Kaladov. It's a fight he wanted forever uh, just to kind of take out this KSW legend. Um, I'm sure they have some good challenges and scrape up for him. But he's so, so ready to come to the UFC. Not that he needs to. Like I said, he's doing great work in KSW. If he doesn't come over, that's fine. But there's a lot of great fights for him in the UFC. And he is so, so, so good. I think if he comes over, he's one win away. He, he get, All he needs is come in, one win. And I think he's next in line for a title shot. So I kind of gave you three different answers there. But watch out for Soul I love it. Mm. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I have to agree with you. I mean, Usman Nurmagomedov, to me, he might already be the best 155er in that division right now for mm. Bellator. Like, Patricio, yeah. uh, Patricio Pitbull is the champion. Like, I, who, if they fight tomorrow, I'm not sure that I would favor Patricio. Uh, also, the Hamzat of that division. Yeah. Usman's yeah. like a three to one favorite. If, if that if that matchup gets made, I, I guarantee the opening odds, three to one favorite, I think, at least for uh, Usman. Also, AK, you mentioned House Manfield, who, who you're right, we totally have not mentioned up to this, winning a million dollars. And then, Jose, you mentioned that million dollar deal for Patty as well. Look at that. <laughs> Two different millionaires already. Way to go, on guys. The rookie of the year table. Way, way to go, gentlemen. Just making that. Go, fighters. Go. I love it. The cheddar makes it better. Back to you, Mike. Congratulations once again to Casey O'Neill. And here we go, everybody. Two last awards to give away before we turn the page to 2022, and there are two of the more exciting awards. We're going to start with the fight of the year. We've had some incredible battles. This is one of the closest competitions, in my opinion, that we had to judge and vote on throughout the year. Some incredible fights, some incredible moments, whether it be a fight that only lasted seven minutes or a fight that went 15 or 25 minutes. Lots of great options to choose from. So here are the nominees. For the 2021 MMA Fighting Fight of the Year. The nominees for Fight of the Year are... Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler at UFC 268, Usman vs. Covington 2 in New York City, New York. Peter Yan versus Corey Sandhagen at UFC 267, Blahovich versus Teixeira in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega at UFC 266, 
Volkanovsky versus Ortega in Las Vegas, Nevada. Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez at UFC Vegas 42. Holloway versus Rodriguez in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yuri Prohaska versus Dominic Reyes at UFC Vegas 25. Reyes versus Prohaska in Las Vegas, Nevada. Here we go. Very tough choice here. Very close vote. The winner of the 2021 Fight of the Year is the main card opener for UFC 268, Madison Square Garden, New York City. What a way to kick off an incredible pay-per-view. Justin Gaethje defeats Michael Chandler via unanimous decision. What a battle it was. Much deserving of this award. Let's go back to the panel and see how this tough decision came to be. Fellas, fight of the year, our penultimate award here. And what a category this one, man. This was this year, man. I mean, these were votes all across the board. I think the top three and really even the top four were somewhat on everybody's ballot, but in particular that top three, you see it right there. The first place votes, uh, four for Gaethje versus Chandler, four for Peter Jan Sanhagen, two for Volkanovsky Ortega, also one out there for Prohaska and Reyes. And my goodness, man, this just goes to show what an incredible year this was. And for me, Gaethje Chandler was the easy pick. Uh, to me, I know it's a three-round fight, and some people faulted for that, and I know it was maybe not the most technical fight, and people will fault it for that. But there was no fight over the course of 2021 where I felt so engaged and so on the edge of my seat throughout the entirety of it. I mean, it was there was no chance uh, that you could take a breath during these 15 minutes. These two men were just going to war in a way that was absolutely astounding. And, and Justin Gaethje really capping it off with, his, his lion at the end of the night saying, you know, if we were gladiators in another time, we'd be doing this with weapons in a coliseum. It was just pure theater, pure magic. And I think at this point, this has to be Justin's, what, like third, fourth fight of the year award that he's won for this website. I can't even imagine. But him and Robbie Lawler have dominated uh, this category <laughs> over the last several years. Jose, I want to go to you because you wrote this article uh, for our website. And also you were among that Jan Sanhagen contingency mm -hmm. Again, very, very close at the top here. Four first place votes each. Tell me a little bit about your fighter of the year ballot and why you believe Deion Sanhagen should have gotten the nod. Uh, I just like I part of it is what you said. Uh, the three round fight, I always five round fights to me always kind of like that's what tips it in the favor. Uh, that's what tips it to me. And and Jan Sanhagen, I know like Casey, aka Mike, and I have done a million preview shows, and Mike's always like, Jose, what's which fight is just a fun martial arts competition that you don't need a crowd for? And to me, that was Jan Sanhagen. I'll watch, I'll watch those two fight a thousand times. I think that those are the two most talented bantamweights in the world. I know Aljamain Sterling is the champion. If this was a ranking, if I was on a pound for pound ranking, I would put him number one just because he is the champion. Uh, but in terms of talent, I think these are the two best bantamweights in the world. Uh, I think uh, Corey Sanhagen just got caught with a submission by Aljamain when they fought, and I think that this was. And a lot of people thought Sanhagen beat TJ, and a lot of people, and obviously Jan was on his way to beating Aljamain before that foul. So to me, this was the actual title fight. Uh, Corey Sanhagen, Peter Jan, was just beautiful martial arts. Everything that they, everything they did, like from every 
every they had a counter for everyone's counter, whether it was on the canvas, whether it was in the clinch, whether it was in the wrestling, whether it was in the boxing, kickboxing. They it was just high level violent chess. It was beautiful to watch. I was also at this fight, so that again that just kind of adds to it. It was in Fight Island, and the crowd was going nuts for this. I mean, every punch, the crowd, every every punch, every kick. It was like it was the 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 setting in that fight was just so fun to be in. I I don't I'm at a loss for words. Like I don't know how to describe this fight. Like I described it as like live action Beyblades in my write up because it just felt like two tops just spinning around a canvas for 25 minutes clanging into each other <laughs> with hoping one of them stops. It was just so fun. It was just high level martial arts. Gaethje Chandler was fun to watch. I got a concussion watching that fight, but it was number 3 <laughs> for me just because it was it was three it was three rounds. It was an awesome fight to watch. It was exactly what we thought it was going to be. But is that even the best fight of either man's career? I don't know. Like, was that, Sean, was that fight better than the two Luis Palomino fights, World Series of Fighting that we were at in Arizona? No. Maybe. No. Maybe. They weren't. They, it wasn't. Exactly. So it's like Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. Obviously, you're going to have a fight of the year candidate. Like, you could have penciled that in before they even fought. Uh, to me, Pure Jan versus Corey Sanhagen was the best martial arts fight that I had seen in years. And I just had so much fun watching it. Hang, hang it in the Louvre. That's what I said. Just put, take, make a gif of that whole fight and stick it in an art museum. AK, it brings a up... A gif next to the Mona Lisa. <laughs> no, we're getting rid of the Mona Lisa. Let's get rid of the Mona Lisa. We're, we're over that, yeah. Uh, AK, I, I, I love it because this category to me this year really typified the the argument for fight of the year as a whole right and it comes down to what do you value most for your fight of the year do you do, do the rounds matter do the circumstances matter do the stakes matter but also are you more of a brawl fan or do you just like the pure technical nature of these fights at the highest possible level i know you also voted for jan saying hagen as well can you tell me a little bit about your methodology and sort of how you look at the broader spectrum of fight of the year when you're coming to this yeah, part of it has to do with with me being such a big bantamweight mark, um, but not that lightweight's far behind. If you ask me, of course, what are the two what are the two deepest, best, most entertaining, most diverse divisions? I'll go bantamweight. I'll go lightweight. One and two in some order. Right now, I think bantamweight has the edge. Lightweight has been the answer for so long, and 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 uh, and it could still be again if you just go up and down the roster. So, um, but but just focusing on Jan and uh, Sanhagen. I mean, again, it was just the ultimate for for anyone who like maybe was not aware of why we're always saying, man, the bantamweight's the best, the bantamweight's the best, the bantamweight's the best. This fight encapsulated so much of that because, as Jose said, these are maybe the two most skilled, with respect to Aljamain Sterling, these are maybe the two most skilled 135ers in the world. So the two most skilled, the two best guys in the best division just really going at it for five rounds. Sanhagen with an early advantage, Jan showing off why he is he is just the, this computer now. He has this Anderson Silva-like computer. Where he adapts, he can adapt to anyone, any style. And by the by the end of the fight, you have no question he's the better man. I mean, he just he just finds a way to adapt and pull away. And it's just so awesome to watch. So from a technical standpoint, this delivered. From a pure entertainment standpoint, swings and momentum, it delivered. Uh, from a statement, storyline. I mean, a lot of people again believing that Jan is the true, is the true champion. I don't know again if this seals that for them. Of course, him beating Aljamain Sterling would be the ultimate vindication uh, if he truly is the best bantamweight. But until that happens, and it looks like we'll be waiting for that for a while, this is about the biggest satisfaction you can get is uh, Piotr Jan regaining the title, technically becoming a two-time uh, bantamweight champion. I'm sure some people just kind of view it as a continuation of his first reign. But 
technically two time. And uh, yeah, the, the only edge for, again, for me, it has over uh, Chandler Gaethje. The round thing, not so much, because I think Chandler made a great point. If it was a five round fight, his fight with Gaethje, it might not have been as balls to the wall. They might have paced themselves a little. So you can't, you really can't uh, divorce it from it being a, a three rounder. Uh, I think near the end, it gets a little wacky. Uh, maybe it's to some people. They, <laughs> Chandler's like really way. playing it up that third right? round, and, it, and it's like you almost like that. That's you almost. Uh, it's almost like a wrestling match. It's like it's like guys, don't break kayfabe. Okay, you gotta you got let's try and maintain <laughs> the com- the competitive illusion here. But some people might like it more. That that's a part of the fight. Like, might look at that and just be like, oh no, that's why I love that fight. So uh, that again, that's really a subjective thing. I liked just the pure technicality and the competitiveness of uh, Jan Sanhagen. But boy, that that uh, Gaethje and Chandler fight is just so wild, and you can't beat that atmosphere. I think it is a very, very valid point that I think both of you have made now that for Chandler Gaethje, and I'm, I voted number one for Chandler Gaethje, but the crowd played such a big part yeah. of that fight. If that fight was in the apex, wow. yeah, it's not the same. It's just not the same, and, and you know you can't say the same about Peter Jan versus Sanhagen. Uh, Casey, we've, we've talked about the lightweights. We've talked about the bantamweights, the divisions. We both, I think all of us here, believe to be the two best divisions in this sport. But then you look at our number three and our number four on our list, and it's the featherweights. It's Volkanovski, Ortega, and it's Holloway, Rodriguez. And you, along with I think most of us, had these four fights in some order on your ballot as well. Hit me with the featherweights, man. I mean, they really did deliver this year. Volkanovski, Ortega was just, even though it was, did Ortega, was that, did that go to decision or did Ortega finally get finished? Decision. No, okay, they both actually, went to decision. Yeah. Oh, Ortega yeah. finally that's made why it. To I was, yeah. That's why I was so wild because like Ortega succumbed to Holloway's power. And this time he like got over that hump. Yeah. When he fought Volkanovski, he reached the finals. Yeah, I, th- I think what what we're we're gonna remember two things from the Volkanovski Ortega fight: just the massive just punishment Ortega can take in a fight, which is really scary and it's impressive and fun to watch. But you're like, geez, dude, blocks him. Yeah, I don't know. You got You can't take so many I mean, shots to the head. That's two but, now. That's two. Yeah, now that's two fights in a row. But no, nah, that's no. Nah, we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but it's just a pure entertainment. It's like, oh man, that fight was incredible. But the fact that those. Ortega should be featherweight champion. He should be. He he. Or Volkanovski was dead to rights. That guillotine was was, it, was first. It was a guillotine. Yeah. Then I think a triangle. Yeah. What, um. I think it was the guillotine. It was just. It was in. It was in. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. It was in. Volkanovski <laughs> somehow got out, and he's still the champ. So that's why that fight was incredible to me, and it was just and and, and beyond just incredible, just martial artists too. And then Yair and Max Holloway. We talk about the crowd, you know, um, Chandler Gaethje being in front of a sold-out Mask and Square Garden arena. Holloway, Yair, put that – if it was if it was more than like 26 fans or whatever, however, how many fans they get in there, put that in a, in a sold-out arena. God, that, that fight just feels so much different. Um, I'm a big Yair, um, Yair Rodriguez mark, and um, I, I went in there expecting a very competitive fight. I know a lot of people kind of thought that fight was going to be a blowout for Max Holloway, but I was expecting a freaking war from both gentlemen, and we got it. And it was just, it was just two extremely high-level athletes in the featherweight division and two completely different fights, both fights. So um, in both fights, I think all four men went to the hospital. I don't know. Maybe Volkanovski stuck around. Okay, so 75% of the, of the featherweights had to go to the hospital after that fight. I'm sure Volkanovski took a serious beating too. But um, yeah, just 
one through five in our, our selection, I mean, it's like you can't lose, honestly. It's just, it really comes down to preference. I get it if you want Gaethje Chandler. I had Gaethje Chandler as my number five pick, but I understand why people had number one. From a, just a pure entertainment standpoint, um, yeah, Gaethje Chandler wins every year, I think, just entertainment-wise. But uh, if we're judging the full mixed martial arts uh, aspect, the, the technical parts of it, um, just those featherweights are just unbelievable this year. Yeah, I, wanna, I, know, I know we I wanna, don't. I want to add Go one ahead. thing to what Casey said. So I was actually at Holloway Yair, and I don't want that fight in a giant arena because the oh, way they set more. that crowd, there were there were like I want to say maybe a hundred, hundred fifty fans in there, and because they they're selling yeah sort of tickets, but they said the way they seat the fans is like this half is Yair and that half was Max Holloway. So oh, you basically so it's almost had like a, a soccer bunch, game or like, it's a, like a high school game. game. It was yeah. a high school. Game. They <laughs> oh, had a cool. bunch of just crazy Mexicans and a bunch of crazy Hawaiians <laughs> with dueling flags going nuts, and they were just yelling at each other. It was a it was a regional scene when you have like like Sean when you go to regional season you you would see like the old power MMA versus like Arizona Combat Club. Sure, the, where sure. they're like the like the crowds are trying to fight each other. I don't want that fight in Madison Square Garden. I want that fight. <laughs> With like 150 people, where they can individually look at someone and yell at them, that was a lot of fun. Absolutely, and also too, I, I know we don't vote for round of the year. That's not one of the categories oh. we do. But if we do, I mean, round three of Ortega versus Volkanovski is probably no winning, right? All like, timer. That is, All was timer. the All timer. best round no of brainer. the year. One of the best Goodness. rounds you'll ever see in mixed martial arts. A fun thing always happens with these sort of awards too with, with our ballots. I think four, four votes for most people usually go to sort of the group. And then I think a lot of us like to send one vote out, whether it's a last place vote or whatever it is, to sort of something that we feel like is under the, rec- under the radar and we want to recognize. For me, it was Paul Daly versus Bahamasi, uh, which was the yeah. best fight in Bellator the whole entire year. That was just yep. chaos for, for as short as it was. It, it was chaos the entire way through. Uh, AK. Talk to me about your last place vote here. I know you oh, were Bellator as well. Absolutely. Lay it on me. Hit me, hit me oh. what this was. <laughs> and by the way, by the, the daily Hamasi fight, like almost, I think it was a 10 years to the, not to the day, but the 10 year anniversary of the Diaz uh, daily fight. What, wasn't it like oh. only a few days off? From the DS, yeah, right? Like so that, it was this, yeah. it was like this crazy intentional homage, the greatest one round fight ever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and and Homasi and, and Daly also had these like, insane swings. So anyway, yeah, that was an amazing fight for sure. But I had to show some love to a Karatana from Congo. I mean, that fight. Hey, Canadians, <laughs> by the way, Canadians, old man Chuck Bell- Congo getting on the list. All love the Bellator cards on uh, are uh, are free on in, on YouTube in Canada. So if you're in Canada, guys, you have no excuse. Go find this fight <laughs> if you missed it. Go find Congo and Karatanov. It's just such heavyweight fun. Just two old guys somehow digging deep. Like the, the, the end of the fight is just insane. It's just, just digging deep and really a, a fight on paper that had, all, frankly, all the makings of a snooze fest. You're either hoping mm-hmm. for like Karatana, maybe a quick KO. Uh, and that's it. Otherwise, you, you're thinking, oh, Congo decision. Like Congo's, I mean, this is going to, you know, th- this is how that's going to go. But these heavyweights have a way, I think these guys with experience, they have a way of surprising you. And every now and then, something. I just would like Congo. So he said submission. Congo by submission, like in this year of like, I don't know. I gotta say, guys, go watch the. He, fight. he lost the first two rounds, right? Congo was he was down the first two rounds. Congo right? was Congoing him. Congo had like the right strategy. Like he was fighting yeah. a smart fight. He was fighting well. He was kind of getting, like getting back up to the fence, but you know he was defending himself well. And then Kirita, and then um, oh sorry, over the other round. Anyway, but it's 
this is heavyweight fun at its finest. Oh yeah. And again, if you if you saw this mm-hmm. main event and poo-poo, and poo-poo, as I did, actually I don't think I watched. I don't remember. I don't think I watched it live. I think I you guys reacted to it, and I was like, well, I gotta check this out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, so I would. I think I think it was me that was that was telling everyone the staff guys guys you got I know yes. I know you took the Friday night off but you gotta watch this fight yeah. <laughs> I Find remember, a way, guys. I remember, I'm sure it's out there. I remember vividly for this one because I was the one that bite, bit the bullet for the staff, and I was like, "I'll do this Bellator. I'll cover this Bellator card." Like no one wanted to cover this Bellator <laughs> card. I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. And that fight was awesome. Yeah, that fight amazing. Was so much better than so it had any right to be. You go no, in right, with yeah. z- below zero expectations, and then you come out like really, you know, surprised and happy. I mean, that was what I think he submitted him at the la- final second of the, of the second round like it was just crazy oh, yeah. the way that played out both men over 40 you you, you love to see it uh jose for you what was the one that rounded out your ballot that that you had that nobody else did uh it was the ponzanibio versus miguel baeza fight i wasn't at this fight um and i i agree with like everything everyone is saying and i know number five on us was here perhaps and dominic reyes and that fight was bananas for as long as it lasted but i vividly remember a lot of Ponzinibbio and Baeza because it was like at the it was also a lot of the culmination of the storylines for that because at the time Miguel Baeza was an undefeated welterweight prospect he was beating Matt Brown and Takashi Sato and he was just like the guy like he was how we're talking about Adrian Yanez now at bantamweight is what we were saying about Miguel Baeza at welterweight like he was the future top 10 top 5 violent like how like bunch of performance bonuses in a row and Santiago Ponzinibbio had that weird blood infection he hadn't fought in like three years and then he comes back uh and he gets knocked out by the leech on fight islands and he was like really emotional in the octagon and then he gets this young hot upstart rookie in Miguel Baez and this was I would imagine the UFC is like well you know if Miguel Baez wins he continues on the streak and he gets a big name and that fight was just bananas for 15 minutes and Ponzinibbio won and just immediately started crying like that fight had a <laughs> bunch of just crazy, crazy back. It was a back and forth war that Ponzinibbio, I think, won fair and square. I think that's how I scored it. Uh, it, it showed that Ponzinibbio was still a contender. It showed Miguel Baez could hang with the best of the best of welterweight. Santiago Ponzinibbio just so emotional after missing so much time and then coming back and getting knocked out. It would just all of those things just added to it. It was just a very, very memorable scene uh, on that fight. And I, I can't even remember what card it was, uh, but it was a lot of fun. It might have been what the 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 main. It was clearly like the second that fight happened, I was like, yeah, that's just give them 50K now. I can't even remember the rest of the card, but that fight was just so there's a lot going into that fight that was memorable for me. And it just delivered. Well, Casey, let's close this category out with you. You actually had two Michael Chandler losses yeah. on your ballot. <laughs> Tell me why Oliveira Chandler was was one of the best fights of the year for you. Actually, yeah, it's interesting. I actually had Oliveira Chandler uh, higher than uh, Gaethje Chandler. Um, this fight, we just learned a lot. It was just, I think the fight was uh, maybe about six minutes long, five minutes. That was entirely uh, Michael Chandler, almost almost 10 eighting um, Charles Oliveira. And to the point where Charles Michael Chandler... He should be the UFC champ. He did, but he went for that dang guillotine. But you know that's what the sport's about. People make mistakes in fights, and the other fighter capitalizes. Gaethje had Oliveira hurt. He got a little too confident of his ground. Tried to try to guillotine Oliveira. Oliveira got out of it. I think in, even into into the round on top. I'm not even sure. But still, coming into that second round, you thought, okay, Michael Chandler is now going to win this fight. And then all of a sudden, Charles Oliveira's got hands. What? <laughs> what? I mean, M- Michael Chandler, he went 
he went 15 minutes with 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 Justin Gaethje, and then I mean not with that was afterward, but Charles Oliveira, you know, just Mr. Little Jiu-Jitsu, former featherweight, knocks Michael Chandler out. It was unreal. It was a great. I think it was a, a lead as a hook, and then the it was just it was just an incredible fight. It's six minutes. It's just super high level, just chaos, and the stakes were incredibly high, and we and from that fight the story of Charles Oliveira came about. You know, he was just, you know, we, we talked about, you know, we talked about, he was just kind of this guy up and down, never consistent, didn't have that heart. And everyone said, yeah, when, once he, once he starts going, once he starts getting beat up, he falls pretty fast. So I don't think there was, I don't know anybody, I don't know anybody about you, but like I had zero expectation of Charles Oliveira coming back and winning that fight. And we saw it. And that's why, that's why um, it was my, it was my fight of the year, but it was my, I think the third, third best fight of the year. So uh, I think it needs to be. I think people they put, people kind of talk about Gaethje Chandler, but to me, Oliver Chandler that's the that's the kind of the one of the the best Chandler fight this year. It's such a bizarre year for Michael Chandler too, right? He got, yeah. he loses these two fights, but I I think all of us it's one of those situations where you lose and maybe you'll lose some stock in the division just a little bit, but ultimately, yeah, but like yeah. all of us are he's a bigger, in for the next. He's Michael a bigger Chandler. star than ever. Yeah. He's a bigger star than ever than he's ever is, been. Is at worst is Michael Chandler what the third best lightweight in the world right now? Yeah, sure. Worth. <laughs> he's up there. He's definitely up there. Uh, anyway, that has been fight of the year. We have one more left, and it's the big one. Fighter of the year coming up next. Back to you, Mike. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May seventeenth, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Congratulations to Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler for putting on such an incredible fight. And a big shout out to all of the other nominees as well, because like I said, at least in my mind, this is a very close decision and Gaethje and Chandler definitely deserve it. So congratulations to them as we move on to the main event, the fighter of the year in 2021. And we had some incredible year long performances from multiple fighters. Fighters who became champions in 2021. Fighters who overcame some early adversity in their careers to finally reaching the pinnacle of this great sport and others, dominant champions who remained at the top of the mountain. Ladies and gentlemen, here are your nominees for the 2021 MMA Fighting Fighter of the Year. The nominees for Fighter of the Year are... Juliana, the Venezuelan vixen, Peña. Cyril Bongamong, gone. Thug Rose, Namayunas. Kamaru, the Nigerian nightmare, Usman. Charles, do Bronx, Oliveira. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time. The 2021 Fighter of the Year is 
the reigning, defending, undisputed UFC welterweight champion of the world, the Nigerian nightmare, Kamara Usman, 3-0, two incredible finishes of Jorge Mazadal and Gilbert Burns, along with a unanimous decision win over, in a lot of people's opinion, the second best welterweight in the world, Colby Covington at UFC 268. Kamara Usman is the 2021 Fighter of the Year. And with that, for the final time, let us go to the MMA Fighting Panel to discuss how this decision came to light. Thanks, Mike. And now the panel, once again, we're joined. Uh, new edition, Guillermo Cruz over there in the bottom right. We appreciate you, Guillermo, calling in from Brazil. Fighter of the year, fellas. This one felt like, of all these categories, it's funny we're doing this last, because of all these categories this year, this one felt like the most straightforward. It was the easiest for, I think, a lot of us. It was also the biggest consensus on the website. We had, of 11 first-place votes, 10 of them went to Kamaru Usman. The one dissenter was my man down there in Brazil, Guillermo Cruz. So, Jose, I'll start with you, man. This did feel like Kamaru Usman's year. I mean, th- again, this was the easiest decision for a lot of us. 3-0 this year. He defends his title three times. Uh, he, he gets the knockout of the year as well, as we've already gone over. For you, why was this year Kamaru Usman's year to own? Well, I just remember how it ended last year. Uh, like he had this these epic performances. What 2019? He had what like how many times have we heard Dana White say how much he just loved the first fight between Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington? So he he builds up all this hype. He's a world beater. He's finally no longer. Uh, Marty Snoozman, he puts on a fight of the year candidate because let's not forget the, on that card also had a Holloway, Volkanovski, I believe Amanda Nunes and Jermaine Durandamy. And everyone said, well, if there's one fight that's going to be a snoozer, it's probably going to be between the two wrestlers. And then Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington have one of the best fights of all time. And then he goes out there and he foot stomps Corey Mazudal for about 25 minutes as the follow-up. And all of a sudden, everyone just hates him all over again. And then so kicking off 2021, everyone still considers Kamar Usman just a boring foot-stomping fighter who couldn't beat a guy on, what, like 10 days' notice in, in Jorge Mazudal. Goes out there and just eats Gilbert Burns alive. Goes out there and just decapitates Jorge Mazudal. And then goes out there and beats... Colby Covington again in another exciting fight inside Madison Square Garden. So, uh, and now, like right away, anytime you're mentioned in, in the same sentence as the greatest fighters of all time, you probably had a pretty good year. And the fact that after the third, the second Colby Covington fight, the questions are all is Kamar Usman now the greatest welterweight ever? Has he surpassed George St. Pierre? That's an argument we don't need to have right now. So, uh, Kamar Usman went from exciting fighter to a, fi- a fighter everyone fans thought was boring to now all of a sudden the greatest welterweight of all time that's a pretty good year in my book it is so funny how the short-term memory in this sport works because you're absolutely right go ahead and out in 2019 people were all over kamaru usman talking about how he has turned the corner and he is now this exciting fighter and then 2020 happens he gets that one fight and everyone forgets uh ak i think jose made a great point there and it's one that i also made in my column i wrote for fighter there which is anytime you can end the year getting comparisons to george st pierre thrown out there and they actually feel valid to some degree like they're actually there's some basis there that probably means you're in the fighter of the year conversation for you ak why was this kamar Musman's year I mean, this was the year for him where I think the results finally caught up to the hype, you know, kind of what we thought uh, Kamara Usman was, you know, from from the old, uh, the joke of the 30 percent. That was only I, gave, I only gave 30 percent. And then eventually, you know, becoming UFC champion, there was still this uh, sort of this this sense around him that like we had not 
we have not seen his best. We know he's the best. Everyone knows he's the best 170 pounder in the world. But where are the outside of you know the, again the super exciting Colby Covington fight, uh, the first one? Like you know wh- where is that? Where is this guy that's supposed to be this beast? As as Jose said, like that that first Masvidal fight just proved nothing. And th- that's just kind of how we are. We we you know we're smart. MMA fans are smart for the most part. They know when someone is good, but they re- you really still want to see them prove it. You know the the proof is in the, is in the pudding, as they say. And getting finishes. Getting the knockout of the year, another exciting fight with Colby Covington, which in, which I know he didn't get the finish, but uh, in some ways I think was just as as convincing as the first fight, if not more so. And at least there was certainly no controversy, no uh, not that there really was in the first one, but no no fodder for you know Colby Covington to say, oh, I was just uh, blame the ref for the stoppage and all that. This was a clear cut loss. Colby Covington knew it. He at least acknowledged that on on fight night, and acknowledged that he's the number two guy in a strong division behind. The man, Kamaru Usman. So, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a safe pick. It's it's weird to to because I, I think he proved a lot again at how entertaining he can be. Um, some other people might have had some a little more dramatic narratives. I'm sure we'll you know we can get to that. Some of the runners up in this category. But if you're just saying when you watched MMA, who was the best fighter, who had the best results at the highest level? It was Kamaru Usman. Well, Guillermo, I want to bring you in here. So let's go down to Brazil because we say there was a consensus, but there wasn't actually because, again, 10 first place votes to Kamaru, but one, the one dissenter, and that was you giving it to our man, Charles Oliveira. And when we threw this article out on, on Twitter and social media as well, a lot of people coming back saying that Charles Oliveira was their fighter of the year. So Guillermo, for you, why did it feel as if Charles Oliveira was the deserving winner for you? I mean, I, I, I agree with if pretty much everything uh, uh, Jose said. It's uh, Kamaru Usman had an incredible year. He deserves to, to be the number one. If you think that, I, I, I won't debate that. I won't say you're wrong and I'm right. But I think Charles Oliveira uh, get, gets the nod because it's, it's Kamaru Usman was the, uh, the the heavy favorite going into all those three fights, and he won impressively. He just destroyed Gilbert Burns. He destroyed Masvidal. And he won impressively against Kobe Covington in the second fight. Uh, but he did what everybody thought he was going to do already. And Charles Oliveira gets no respect uh, still by a lot of people. Uh, he, he, he got into his year campaigning for a title shot. He said he won a title shot. Dusty Poirier just pretty much ignored him to fight Conor McGregor uh, a second time and then a third time instead of fighting Charles Oliveira for the, for the UFC belt. And then he fought Michael Chandler. People thought he was going to decapitate him after uh, knocking out Dan Hook in his UFC debut. Charles Oliveira is the underdog. He goes there, almost gets finished, but comes back and knocks him out in the second round. And then he fights Dustin Poirier, who's all of a sudden the man, the uncrowned king, the guy in the, the lightweight division. And he gets hurt again in the first round and finishing in the, with, with, with a standing rear naked choke. is just ridiculous. Extends his record for most submissions within UFC history. And we were we were talking about uh, Sean about how we have the the short term memory in this sport, and I think it's just like the opposite with Charles Oliveira. We can't uh, ignore, uh, we, we can't like like let go the fact that Charles Oliveira was finished in the past, that he was knocked out, that he was submitted, that he had plenty of losses early in his UFC career. This guy has won like a dozen in a row. He's finishing everybody. But Tony Ferguson, he's, he's doing an incredible job. And this year was an incredible year for him as the underdog, getting there, uh, finally getting his shots and winning and defending the UFC belt. 
that's why I think I I know what what Kamara Usman did was impressive, but the all the the the, the narrative and uh, the, the the drama involved uh, around Charles Oliveira. That's why I picked him as the fighter of the year. Man, I want to change my vote. I want to change my vote now. We've been, we, you and I have been on the Oliveira is the best lightweight for like uh, in the world for a long time. Me too. The rest, and Jose, excuse me, Jose. Was, I don't was vote there, on the part. panel, but I've long okay, listened okay. to well, all of our yeah, arguments I, I, in our I, meetings about Portland. Nah, well, Oliveira was always well. Well, we and I have been putting our neck out there with with our uh, fellow coworkers, and and uh, they've been seeing every month our Charles Oliveira support, and uh, and I do feel redeemed, and I think agree. I think you summed it up like amazingly well. Yeah, that, and it kind of what I said about the Usman thing. The, the, the arc of Oliveira is definitely more impressive and more memorable. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like if you, uh, you voted him first, I don't think anyone can make a strong argument against that. Uh, an, an amazing story, just like an awesome story. And, and I think you, you really summed it up. And, and Guy, I think you made a good point when it, it's almost the opposite of the short-term memory problem that I, we usually have in MMA. Where with Charles, we've he's been in our life for so long, right? Like he twenty fights into his UFC career, he's barely above five hundred. Like he was sort of this guy. He was who he was. We sort of knew what he was going to do. He's that it's the front runner thing, right? Like we've heard it for a lot at this point. It's the front runner aspect of it. Uh, but it is crazy how how it all came together for him in 2021. And I think any other year he probably takes this award by a landslide, but it just was hard to overcome what Kamaru did. Uh, one last thing before we get out of here on this note, the, the way the top voting for fighter of the year played out was actually really interesting because it felt like everyone had a consensus for the most part, top four where everybody had Usman Oliveira, Cyril Gaon, and Juliana Pena for the most part. So there were some exceptions. But that, that was the most consistent little group of four that were in everybody's ballot. And then that number five spot was a total wild card for everybody. We had votes for Rose. We had votes for Kayla Harrison. Shevchenko got in there. Islam Makachev, Sergio Pettis. You can see the table right there. Jose, A.K. Gee, what, what was it about the the number five vote? What what swayed you for your side for this like final vote to round out your ballot? Let's start with Jose. Uh, I believe I voted for Kayla Harrison. If I'm not, who did I vote for? Was it Kayla or Sergio? I know I won it with Sergio. Yeah, for Sergio, it was the sense where it, it, that was more of a, a feel good story for me, and the fact that he has long been known as Anthony Pettis's younger brother. And I've covered a few of his later fights in the UFC. I was at his fight against Rob Fawn, and he kind of got the red carpet treatment in his hometown of Milwaukee, and he lost. And uh, he wasn't – it felt like he wasn't going to live up to his potential as this this future title challenger. He'd always falter. He'd stumble at, at the finish line to get that title shot when he was at flyway in the UFC. And then he moves over to Bellator in this big signing, and he gets all these awesome – uh, matchups that I've always wanted to see, and he just delivers on all, all cat, all across the board. And then he fights Horiguchi, and he's losing the entire fight until he decides to throw one spinning back fist and knock out the man that never lost the belt. So, to me, we're talking about a tr- career trajectory, and I feel like Sergio made the biggest jump from someone that was dwindling around the bottom of the top fifteen to just being the champion. No controversy. The man won fair and square. Knocked out like the big knock on his reign as a be- as the Bellator uh, bantamweight champion was he didn't beat the guy that had the belt. Kyoji Horiguchi just got hurt, and then he goes out there and knocks him unconscious. Like he was, his senses left him. So to me, that was a that was an absolutely fantastic moment uh, in the world of MMA. So he got my number five spot for just 
career trajectory to that point. AK, what about you? Uh, I had gone, Seattle gone at number five. I don't really want to talk about my number five guy. I want to talk about my number four guy who I had to make sure got on, <laughs> who, who I had to make sure he got on the chart. Uh, but thankfully, it wasn't just me. It was uh, the American Will Arnett, Connor Burks also. Shout out to Connor Burks. Also putting Chris Curtis on the fighter of the year list. Christopher, the action man, Curtis, who uh, in another year, we would have had him as a, as a leading breakthrough fighter of the year. Uh, obviously, our, we had a little bit of a different award this time around this year, but he he for me was again just one of the best stories we've been talking about stories a lot i don't know if there was a better story i also have to remind people that chris curtis fought seven times in uh 2021 i think seven times or scheduled to fight six times not six times excuse me he fought six times so four times before the ufc and then two finishes in the ufc uh it's I, I know what you know. Again, we're focused mostly on UFC stuff, Bellator, and we do these Fighter of the Year awards. But again, I, you fight six times, you get six wins. Six wins is MMA is six wins. I mean, that's that's impressive as hell. And then again, he proves it at the UFC level, taking out Phil Haas, heavy underdog, Brendan Allen. Pretty sure he was the underdog again. So it, it just it could not these year end awards. I feel like would not be. You can't tell the story of MMA in twenty twenty one without talking about Chris Curtis finally making it to the UFC, finally getting some wins. Everyone known he's everyone's known he's UFC caliber for so long. Um, his story is, is very well told. Multiple retirements, uh, contender series. You know, he's, he tried that. Didn't, he won, didn't get on. So many weird near misses with trying to make it to the big show. And I, I want to say never gave up. But again, as we said, a lot of times he did kind of tell himself, maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe I'm going to walk away. Somehow stuck in there, got new life with the PFL, even though like his run with the, in the league was not great. I think he got one win um, and retired again during that run. <laughs> so I, I honestly can't believe we're talking about him um, at, uh, at the end of 2021. But my goodness. Three weight classes. Unbelievable, this guy. Three weight classes. Middleweight. Yeah. He is, uh, he is something else. You're right. We we talk about stories so much on this show, but there are few better than the action man because man, they, they, there are so many times in this guy's career where he just assumed it wasn't going to happen. Right? How many retirements are, are, are across the board uh, on on our list of award winner here? I probably zero, except for that man. He's got like three of them. He's got like three. <laughs> who would blame him? Who would have blamed him? Who would have blamed Chris Curtis if he retired like three years ago? Nobody. <laughs> Guillermo, last to you, man. What, what, who rounded out your ballot? Yeah, I think uh, I was impacted by the by the few good story about how Schmanky, my number five in the Friday of the year, because I mean he 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 hasn't fought in in three years. Uh, he didn't have a job. He was a former uh, Titan FC champion, but he has no no contract. He was offering literally offering to fight for free just to, 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 to get a win, to try to get in the UFC. And he, he couldn't get an, an, an opponent. And just, he was literally going to Florida to, to spar with uh, Jake Paul to get, paid, to, to get paid $100 to get some money in his pocket. He was working at a, as a janitor in a hospital to get some money. And then PFL comes around. He gets, he enters PFL as an alternate and just get a, gets a chance to fight Joilton Peregrino, who has another surname now, uh, wins the fight, and then he fights Anthony Pettis. He, he was scheduled to fight uh, Nathan Schultz, who is a former champion, two-time champion, and uh, they fought, the, the, the fight fell through, and he has to fight Anthony Pettis, like the, basic, the biggest signing in PFL this year, 
He wins that fight, and then he fights Clay Collard, who has all this hype about fighting boxing, fighting MMA, and he wins again, gets to the, to the million-dollar fight, and wins one more time. He had four wins in six months, and win, wins the season. It was just uh, surprising for someone who was out for three years, had no contract. Like He started this year without a job, without no money, and then he ends this, this year as a millionaire, uh, winning the, the whole season that was... Uh, impressive was a, a, a few good stories as well you can't hate on it you cannot hate that turnaround that that man had it, it is uh, again a year full of so many great stories uh it is just too many to pick from but that is fighter of the year back to you mike thank you gentlemen appreciate all of your incredible work throughout this broadcast really means a lot and congratulations once again to Kamar Usman he began the award show winning an award and he closes the show in the main event spot with the 2021 fighter of the year trophy on his mantle I mean oh it's not the UFC welterweight title but this is a pretty darn cool thing so congratulations to all of our winners and thank you to all of you for not only watching the show or listening to the show however you are consuming it but for sticking by MMA fighting throughout this entire year it's been a crazy couple of years really appreciate all of your support and if you thought 2021 was a great year 2022 is going to be even better we have some cool things lined up here on mmafighting.com so with that being said for the rest of the crew over at mmafighting.com i am mike heck thank you again for watching and we wish you all a very happy new year this has been the 2021 mma fighting year end awards a Vox Media production. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.